0: We can't disclose exactly the type of cuisine because it would it would pretty quickly give away um, the restaurant chain. Um, so we've had to really stick to the way that we described it in the paper.
1: There's been a lot of noise made about calorie counts on labels. The idea being that it's one of those things that might nudge people to make healthier choices. So much so that in 2018, in the USA, it became mandatory for food chains with more than 20 outlets to label the calories in their food. But the effectiveness of that is hard to gauge. It's relied on reporting from consumers, which leads to an incomplete picture. The really killer data would come from the chains themselves but they're reluctant to share that. And that's where a new study published on bmj.com comes in. Now, we've done a lot around nutrition, calorie labelling, food taxes and health in our podcasts. So if you want to hear more, you can find that in our archive. That's free to access on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. But back to today. So that new study, just published on bmj.com, has some of the best data to test the effect of calorie labeling. And to talk to that, I'm joined by two of the authors. Joshua Petema is a postdoc at the Harvard T.T. Chan School of Public Health. Josh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Jason Block is Associate Professor at Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Institute and Harvard Medical School. Jason, hello.
0: Thanks for having
1: us. It's great to have you here. Um, So, as I hinted there, you two have managed to get sales data from a chain from a year before and a year after that legislative change. Um, And the chain in your study remains somewhat mysterious because you've agreed not to disclose their name as part of this. So it sounds like you had quite a lot of wrangling going on there to actually get hold of that data. Can you, you tell us about that? Um, where did it start? How did you start uh, trying to get hold of that that information?
0: I met the owner of a franchise Um, in a fairly large franchise of a national restaurant company, and started talking to him about the type of research that I was interested in doing, and specifically um, research exploring calorie labeling. And um, at at the time that we started the discussions, calorie labeling uh, as a law had been passed, but it had not been implemented uh, in the United States. The process actually from the passage of the law in the U.S., that implementation took a very, very long time. It's a very complex political story for why it took so long. But we started these conversations, and, and what I explained to him was that there have been a number of studies that have been conducted around the effectiveness of calorie labeling, but very few have been able to utilize transaction data or retail data, and that we were really interested in using that type of data with the expectation that the effect of calorie labeling might be small, that you might need very large amounts of data in order to explore the effect of it. And that uh, doing this type of research without transaction data has uh, potential challenges and problems. Um, If you have transaction data, you're able to look at full populations over periods of time. And so we started discussions about this um, and he was open to sharing the data and as the discussions proceeded um, they they as a company agree but again this is one franchise they have quite a few restaurants um, but they're not they're not they can't speak on behalf of the national company and so they were willing um, for us to name the company in the franchise but they had to get permission from the national uh, company headquarters in order to do that and the national uh, headquarters just never gave permission. And, and I don't think it was necessarily because they actively opposed um, giving permission. They just, they just didn't. And for whatever reason, um, we had to operate under that scheme, which was that they were willing to share us the data. They couldn't get permission for us to name the company. And so our data use agreement with them uh, was that we would, uh, we would explore this effect we would describe it in the way that we described it in the paper as a big franchisee of a national uh, restaurant company, but that we wouldn't share the name. Mm.
1: Can you share any information with us about it? Uh, you know, what kind of cuisine it is or anything? We
0: can't disclose exactly the type of cuisine because it would, it would pretty quickly give away um, the restaurant chain. Um, so we've had to really stick to the way that we described it in the paper, which is that it's a large national company. This is a, a large franchisee um, and it's located in the southern U.S. And their presence is in three states in the in the southern U.S., which is Louisiana, Mississippi and Texas.
1: Mm. And with the average count now, I'm sure there'll be people doing some triangulation themselves, but we'll leave them to do that. Right. Um I mean, presumably these companies are interested in the outcome of this as well, because it might speak to the kind of food that they, they want to do, formulation. You know, there's, there's, this is valuable information for a company as well.
0: You know, I think the answer to that is is yes. Um, it's, it's valuable information for them um, overall to know what is motivating customers to choose certain items and whether changes that they make themselves or that they're required to make, whether it has an impact on their business. Um, In some ways, they're agnostic to the actual effect of calorie labeling beyond that Hmm. because it's just something that's been mandated um, and they have known for a long time they were going to have to comply with this. And and in fact, when the political process played out in the United States in 2010, when they passed the law, uh, the large restaurant chains ultimately were supportive of the policy that passed US Congress and was signed by the president. And the reason that they were supportive is because starting way back in 2006, the concept of calorie labeling labeling started to emerge at the local level. It started in New York City, expanded from there, it went to Philadelphia and Seattle, um, and then states started to become interested in it and started to pass laws around calorie labeling. And so it ended up being this mix of different types of policies in different settings. The national companies that had a presence across the US quickly realized that it was gonna be easier for them to adhere to a uniform national standard. And so when it it came to pass that federal legislation was percolating, the National Restaurant Association in the US and the large companies ultimately supported a national federal law that would preempt state and local law and create this uniform standard. And so for, for what that's worth, um, they, they've just kind of accepted it. And uh, there have been other industries that have opposed it and fought the regulatory process, which is in part why it took so long to get implemented in the US. Um, but the companies, they just have, have accepted that this is, this is reality.
1: Mm. And the data that you've got here from them, um, this is real-world data. This isn't a, a longitudinal study with all the kind of rigor that that, that might have in. So some of the the data has got blips in it, a little bit of missing information. There's even a hurricane that <laughs> that changed some of this. So uh, what state is the data in? Is it, is it pretty good?
2: So the data that we received was, um, I would describe it as messy in the sense that um, you know, it was just kind of the raw sales data that they probably use for their inventory purposes. Um, so we, I can describe what it looked like and like the format if that's interesting. Um, but they they basically gave us just all of the sales. The, uh, sorry, the number of items that were purchased uh, for every single offering within a store every single week, and it was just kind of your basic Excel spreadsheet um, and. I think Jason might be able to speak to this more than me, but um, I think when working with data that weren't collected for the purposes of research and with a partner that isn't necessarily um, as invested in the research as an academic partner, obviously, you might, you know, we we had to work with um, not having a complete data dictionary, for example. There was there were, there were potential changes in the formatting of the data or in some of the um, kind of some new you know entries would come and go, and we weren't really sure why, and it was a little bit confusing to work with. You know, they
0: didn't design this data set so that somebody could conduct a research project with it. They designed it for their internal operations. And it's a complete uh, compendium of all of their sales, but there's some some, some issues, some with, with that type of data occasionally that we had to work with. So, so jo- Joshua had to spend a ton of time. <laughs> to
2: right. And, um, as you mentioned, Duncan, um, the example of the hurricane, which wasn't, you know, the company's fault or it wasn't a, a data, an issue with the data necessarily, but that was more like a real world issue that affects sales data that you wouldn't get if you were looking at, you know, customer surveys or something like that. So we had to just be a little bit more mindful of those kinds of issues that could affect sales, which as, as an epidemiologist by training, I'm not, I wasn't necessarily used to working with, um, with those kinds of issues so that, um, you know, but we were able to, I we think, identify a lot of um, um, kind of discrepancies or, you know, that were showing up in the data and try to make sense of it, which took a little bit of time, but. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> we, we got there. I mean, it, you know, ultimately we felt really comfortable with the final database that we, that we had.
1: So you had to sort of cross-reference this data with weather. <laughs> That's one thing. Um, but you also cross-referenced it with this external source of um, calories in in foods. This menu stat database. Did you do that as opposed to doing going with the the companies themselves um, calorie counting for for any reason? Why was it you chose to to do that? Yeah. So.
2: The database that we worked with, as you mentioned, Menustat, is uh, a database that is maintained by the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. And they provide the calorie information for all or most items that are sold in the top roughly 100 restaurants in the US in terms of revenue. So we worked with this data set, one, because they have historical data. They maintain these databases, and they update them every year. So our study went from 2015 until 2018. So we were able to have data from every single year of that study, which was important for us because we suspected that companies could potentially reformulate some of their items, in which case the calories could change. If you look on a company website for nutrition information, you're only going to get the... Generally you're going to be able to get just the calorie information for what's offered that day. But um, we really wanted to have that historical data. Um, so that was, I think, the main reason for, for using that data set.
1: Great. Um, and you did mention there that there was a potential for reformulation. Was that something that you actually saw in practice? Did this company reformulate? We did
2: look at reformulation and we looked uh, in our paper, we looked at the top, I believe it was the the top 50 items, which made up about 70, almost 75% of all sales to see if they reformulated over time. And we didn't see very much evidence of that. We saw some small changes, 10 calories here, 20 calories there kind of changes um, that happened. And I, that happened between 2017 and 2018, which was the kind of the year pre and the year before and the year after labeling. So we didn't see much of the, uh, much evidence of that. And we also didn't see that they were necessarily introducing a lot of new lower calorie items, which was another, another thing that we were kind of um, looking for.
1: So that's good. So what you're really looking at here then is just consumer behavior. That's what would account for the, the the calorie changes.
2: In our study, yes, although it is possible. One of the things that we point out is that our study ended right about a month before uh, labeling went uh, nationwide, at least that it was mandated nationwide. And so one of our hypotheses is that there's still it's still possible that calorie labeling can reduce few calorie purchases if restaurants in the future decide to ref- do this reformulation and if they only kind of took that up um, once it was mandatory nationwide. So we are still going to look for that in the future.
1: So you've got all this data, you know the shape of it, you know the kind of environment in which it was generated. Uh, you've crunched it all and there are lots of stats there. So I'd suggest people go and actually read that in the paper because it is open access, everyone can can get hold of it. Um, So what you saw was this this small drop, relatively small drop in the number of calories people were buying immediately after labelling came in. Um, But that drop sort of attenuated back to the norm, the mean, as it were, uh, over time. So, yeah, can you you describe the pattern that you saw?
2: Yeah, similar to what you said, we did see this small decrease. It was about uh, 4% compared to right before labelling. And then it did uh, partially attenuate over time or kind of partially rebound over time. Um, It didn't completely rebound. So by the end of the study period that we had, there was still a a difference between there was still it was a 23 calorie uh, difference between what we observed versus what we expected we would have observed if labeling hadn't happened. Now, that trend was going up and it's possible that it will continue to go up after the point at which we had data but we're actually not sure it's also possible that it will plateau or that it will change direction especially because as i mentioned implementation nationwide happened soon after our study but generally yeah that was the the general shape that we saw Hmm.
1: was that the shape you expected to see because it kind of makes sense that you get this nudge of oh god that's how many calories i've been eating but You know you just get used to that information over time and so the 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 power of that nudge must diminish
2: i think that we thought of that as certainly a possibility that there would be a that the largest change that we would see would be upfront, and then it would potentially diminish over time but we really weren't sure also because most of the big studies that have been done in calorie labeling haven't used this particular type of analysis where you kind of see look at how the trend changes over time um so That was somewhat new to us as well. I don't think that either of us was really that surprised by that. Um, One of the other big studies that have been done in labeling saw a similar decrease. It was a 6% decrease um, in Starbucks restaurants. So we had some idea that it would be a small
0: change, um, if anything. And that was a study that was conducted a number of years ago around the time that New York City started their labeling program. And they looked at uh, calories per transaction for Starbucks purchases in New York City compared to Boston and Philadelphia um, over a period of time before and after New York implemented labeling and those other cities were the control settings. And so the magnitude of effect in that study was pretty similar to what we found. And so I think the magnitude that we found wasn't a huge surprise.
1: So that study, the one you just mentioned, took place in in New York and Boston, big urban areas. Your study took place in like entire states, Louisiana, uh, Mississippi and Texas. So is there something about the the demographics of the people who are using uh, these restaurants that that might be feeding into the result that you you see as well?
2: I think that's a possibility, um, but we're not 100 percent sure. Um, A lot of the studies that were done previously were in cities that implemented labeling before the federal mandate. So they were New York, mostly New York, Seattle and Philadelphia, which are these, as you mentioned, these uh, bigger urban cities. And um, there were some urban areas in our study as well, but they were probably not as dense as some of the other um, some of the areas in the the other work that's been done. I think that Um, You know, and and one of the things that I was thinking about, I don't think we don't have a way to confirm this, unfortunately, with the data that we have, but was the effect of drive-throughs because it's possible that more people were using drive-throughs in these areas. And while all the drive-through menu boards that have labels, we don't know if the, you know, effect of labeling would be similar as to when you're looking at the menu board in the restaurant. So I think it's possible that there could be a difference in terms of, the, ge- in terms of the, uh, the geographic area and the demographics of the people um, in the restaurants. But because we didn't have that individual level of data, unfortunately, that was something um, we couldn't explore too much.
1: So the picture that you've, you've sketched here is uh, perhaps not the most positive one, for, for calorie labelling, at least when it comes to uh behaviour change at a kind of population level that, that might make a real difference to health. And it's something that, you know, we in the UK have been talking about. Um, it's it's something that, uh, that that might come in here as well. At the same time, we also are talking about taxation on sugar. We have already taxation on alcohol in Scotland. Um, you know, it's another thing that that can be used. And it seems, at least from from your data, that that maybe actually moving towards more of that that legislative change, that stick, that really um, forces behaviour change might be a a better way for the UK to go. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I think
0: one of the things when you think about calorie labeling is most people who work in this area and whether it's researchers or advocates or people in public policy, uh, they view uh, policies on obesity prevention to be most effective if they're combined in their multiple modalities and and approaches to trying to encourage people to make healthier choices. Um, Calorie labeling is one of those, but um, the individual effect of each policy is probably not gonna be as impressive as a comprehensive effect from a comprehensive suite of policies. The the context in the UK is very different in the US. US passed calorie labeling. Uh, We have passed some sugary beverage taxes in localities. So in cities, there's been some debate about doing that in some states as well. But the action at the federal level has been pretty limited and has been really focused on something like calorie labeling, but hasn't been part of a comprehensive collection of policies. The UK has really approached this differently. They've approached it by designing um, a strategy. And that started with sugary beverage taxes um, and trying to limit uh, energy drink purchases uh, for children and trying to encourage physical activity in different ways. Um, And then it's kind of moving to having calorie labeling and doing further market restriction um, of, uh, of certain types of foods to children. And so the collection of those different activities together, they might be synergistic, um, whereas a one single policy uh, may be expected only to have a a small effect. And so it it will be interesting to see in the UK whether there's a much more robust um, effect of this added on to the other things that are happening. And, And that's not to say that the U.S. is not interested in this. We've done a lot on school nutrition and those policies have seemed to be pretty effective as well. Um, It's just there hasn't been a vision for this is what we're going to do over this period of time. The the one other thing I'll just say about that is that the UK also has this voluntary program that they're working with food retailers to encourage them to reduce the calorie content of their foods. So I think their goal is to reduce the calorie content of food by 20% by 2024. So the collection of labeling plus that voluntary program might be particularly robust because there's a direct impetus to relabel to uh, reformulate, whereas in the U.S. reformulation is really truly voluntary. It's not under any organized strategy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think one of the things that people will uh, will see with this research is that there's a, a small effect, and and we think it's important for everyone to recognize that in fact the the effect does look small, it attenuates, we'll have to see. We actually do have another year of data that we have not looked at and have not evaluated yet, which is the second year post labeling. We'll have to see if that first year trend um, continues and it'd be really interesting to see that. Um, One of the important things is, is when you do research like this using transaction data, it is across an entire population. And so small effects get magnified um, if the population is large. And so, e- even these relatively small effects at the population level can be important. What we also know is that whenever you look at mean or, or average effects, what that reflects is that some people might be using this information and changing their behavior a lot. Some people, probably the most of people, aren't changing at all. And there might be some people who are, who are making paradoxical changes where they might purchase more calories. So all we can see is the average effect over the entire population, and it doesn't reflect uh, heterogeneity or variability uh, within those populations. So that that's just one other thing to note about this type of work.
1: So you've been listening to Joshua Petamar and Jason Block talk about the research paper, estimating the effect of calorie menu labeling calories purchased in a large restaurant franchise in the southern United States, a quasi-experimental study. So as I already said, we've done a lot on nutrition, calorie labelling, food taxes and health in our podcast. So if you want to hear more, you can find that in our archive. And that's all free on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, Subscribe, rate, review, as you listen, you know what to do. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back soon with more well-being. Why the NHS has rolled out healthcare support for doctors, and how that's actually going to work. So, goodbye until then. I'm Duncan Jarvis, thanks for listening.